0: Father in heaven, as we come into your presence, we have one request. We ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts, that as we hear the reading of your word and the thoughts conveyed from it, that you would take the message and apply it in our lives. Father, we want to be more like Jesus, and we pray that you would help us to that end. Thank you, Father, for hearing our prayer, because we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. On April 7th, 2014, after years of investigation, Pope Francis formally recognized Pope John Paul II, arguably one of the most famous of modern popes. He pronounced him a saint in a service that they call canonization. To become a saint in the Catholic Church is quite a stringent process, the first being that you have to be dead. I believe that the Lord is looking for living saints. Would you say amen? John Paul II had been dead for nine years at this point, and there had been Quite a bit of investigation into his life, into the works that he had done, the things that he had accomplished, not only as a pope, but also as a Catholic cardinal. And so the process started to bestow upon him the status of saint. One of the most difficult things for, one of the most difficult processes to pronounce somebody as a saint in the Catholic Church, is that there has to be two verifiable miracles that happened as a result of somebody directly praying to that individual. The report was that there were two people who were healed after praying to John Paul II, a nun who was healed, apparently, from Parkinson's disease, and a woman who was healed after having a Brain aneurysm. And so, as a result of the investigation into John Paul II's life, the so called miracles that took place, there was this great ceremony that happened where they pronounced him a saint. I would suggest to you this morning that the Bible's reading and the Bible's description of sainthood is vastly different than what we find in the Catholic Church. We read in our scripture reading this morning, in Romans chapter 1 and verse 7, where the Apostle Paul says this, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be what? Called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The Catholic view of saints is of an elite group of dead people who have apparently done great things in their lives. I believe that God is calling living people to be living saints as an example of the power of God to transform the lives of men and women. Would you say amen? In fact, it's very interesting as you read the writings of the apostle Paul, you will actually find that he liked to refer to the believers as saints. You actually find that nowhere in the writings of Paul does he call the believers Christians. In fact, there's only a couple of places in the Bible that the believers are referred to as Christians. Over 40 times in the writings of Paul, Paul calls the believers saints. I believe that that's a very good title because it carries with it and a very uh, great meaning behind it. In fact, the word saint means to be set apart for God, to be, as it were, exclusively His. I want to be exclusively God's. How about you? Behind the word saint, many times in the Bible, the, the Greek word here for saint is translated into the word Holy. So you could actually rephrase the passage of Scripture to called to be holy ones. Behind the word is the word sanctified, and we understand the word sanctified means to be set apart for holy use. Paul is calling the believers of the church of Rome to be set apart exclusively as gods for a holy purpose that God has designated for them to do and to live. Throughout the writings of Paul in 2 Corinthians and the book of Ephesians and the book of Philippians and Colossians, in all of these epistles, Paul refers to the believers as saints of God. And I think that this is a very good use of the word because it carries a lot of meaning behind it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2, the Bible says this, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are what? <clears throat> to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, and then what does it say? Called to be saints. It's the same three, four words there that Paul is using, that he used in the book of Romans. God's people are called to be saints. God's people are called to be, to be exclusively his, to be set apart for a holy use. God is not interested in dead saints. He wants living people to be living examples of the power of God in the lives of men and women. I want to accept the invitation that God has given to us today to be his saints. Would you say amen? Now, as you continue reading 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you'll actually find a brief description, and I've just summarized it for you here. You can go back and read it on your own if you choose to. But the next four or five verses, Paul really outlines for us uh, the description of what it means to be a saint. He says that they are, as we've already read in verse 2, they are sanctified in Christ Jesus, they are enriched by him in all utterances, or in all speech, and in all knowledge. These people are enriched by their sanctification in Christ Jesus. He goes on, they are waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you waiting for the coming of Jesus? Seventh-day Adventists look forward to the second coming of Jesus. He goes on, they are considered to be what? Blameless he says. They are considered to be blameless as they wait for Jesus' appearing. And then he says that uh, that they have fellowship with what I like to refer to as the saint of saints, Jesus Christ. And perhaps that fellowship with Jesus is what leads to their blamelessness in their lives and in their actions. Yes, God has called us to be living saints with him, And these saints, as we see in this passage of scripture, have a very close relationship with Jesus. It is apparent that the Bible's description of what it means to be a saint is vastly different than what the world may view it as. And of course, as we've already seen in the Catholic Church, it's very different than that. So the question then is this, do we dare claim to be saints? Given this description in the Bible, do we dare claim to? to be saints. Are we developing a saintly disposition and saintly characters? Are we following the saint of all saints? If we are following Jesus's example of what it means to be a saint, then we will turn the other cheek when somebody mistreats us. We will give extensively of ourself for the betterment of of others and we will follow the golden rule what is the golden rule do unto others as you would have others do unto you if we are following jesus as the example of saint of being a saint we will follow the golden rule so extensively and carefully in our lives that it will naturally result in the fulfillment of the last six of the 10 commandments that reveal our love our fellow human beings yes indeed God's people are called to be saints notice what the Bible says here in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 18 Daniel says this the saints of the most high shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever even forever and ever who are the ones that possess the kingdom of heaven who are the ones that receive the gift of eternal life? Who are the ones that inherit the new heavens and the new earth? It is the saints, according to Scripture. So the Bible here is telling us that before we can accept the, or before we can get the gift of eternal life, before we can walk on streets of gold and accept the uh, citizenship of the kingdom of heaven, the Bible here is telling us this morning that we need God to transform us into saints. We have to accept the invitation that God has given to us to a higher standard of living than what the world and what Christianity says is acceptable. We have to accept this invitation to be called as saints and allow God to perform the miraculous miracle in our lives of transforming us into living saints for him. For it is the saints of God who will inherit the new heavens, and the new earth. In the book of Revelation, we find this elite group of people talked about once again. All are invited to be part of the group, these people that are called saints. But the Bible here describes them once again in a passage of Scripture that we are familiar with, very familiar with as Seventh-day Adventists. It's one that you hear thundered from our pulpit quite often during an evangelistic series. It is at the very uh, beat of the heart of Seventh-day Adventists, that is Revelation chapter 14. And there we find the three angels' message, what John describes as the everlasting gospel. And right after the third angel's message is repeated, John says this in verse 12 he says here is the patience of the now many times we miss the connection we have the three angels message and then we have here is the patience of the saints and we miss the connection there is a tight connection between these two because john is describing the people who will live during the time of the third angel's message as he's describing these people who lived during the time of the third angel's message. What is the third angel's message, by the way? Don't receive the mark of the beast. So it's the time period in earth's history where the Sunday law is going out, where the mark of the beast is being enforced, and all the world has to choose between obedience to God and obedience to men. This is the scene that is taking place in earth's history when John says, "Hear." Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. This is the people that John is describing, the people who are living during the time of great persecution in the last days. In fact, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 7, and verse 14, these are they which came out of what? Great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the land. We don't have time to get into it, and it's really not that important for us to understand it. But suffice it to say that this is going to be a time of tremendous persecution in the end of earth's history. As God's people are trying to remain loyal to him, Satan is filled with wrath with anger, with hatred, and he pours down the vials of his wrath upon God's people, trying to get them to bend in that commitment to the Lord. And in the midst of all of that, this great time in earth's history, John says, here is the patience of the saints. I believe the saints... As they go through this time of great injustice, because it is unjust the way that we'll be treated, you know, as Christians, if we're always looking for fairness, we might lose out on eternal life because it's just not going to be fair in the last days. But I believe the saints, as they go through this time of great injustice, they will react the same way that Jesus reacted during the last closing scenes of his life. If you want an interesting study sometime? You can go back and look at this. Look at the last 48 hours of the life of Christ in comparison with the life of God's people in the last days. And what you will find is it's a mirror reflection. The people who live in the closing scenes of earth's history will most accurately reflect the character of Christ in the last 48 hours of his life. It's a startling study and comparison that would be well worth your time to investigate. So I believe that during this time, God's people will respond in the very same way that Jesus responded as he was in those last few hours leading up to the cross before he died when injustice, or when justice, rather, was trampled underfoot, when he was hauled from one trial to another. The Bible tells us that he did not give the slightest indication of retaliation or revenge he did not even open his mouth. In fact, listen to what the Bible says here. First Peter chapter 2, and verse 23. I have a point. Stick with me here. You're going to see this in just a minute. The Bible says, talking about Jesus, who when he was reviled, what did he do? Come on now. Who when he was reviled, what does the Bible say? He reviled not. And when he suffered, what did he do? He threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. In a word, in the last 48 hours of the life of Christ, Jesus had supreme patience. Did he not? Do you have to have patience to be treated unjustly? Do you have to have patience when somebody is physically afflicting you? Incredible patience. Jesus had supreme patience in the most extreme and unjust of circumstances. He was betrayed by his disciples, denied by another, mocked, spit on, beat it, ultimately hung on a cross and stuck in a grave. And through it all, he remained patient and he muttered those words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That is the example. That is the standard of living that God's people will attain at the time of Revelation chapter 14 and verse 12. That is the patience of the saints. That is an example of what it looks like to be a saint that is filled with the patience of God. It is not of human origin. It is of the origin of God. God must create this. In our lives, One of the fruits of saintliness, as we see here in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 12, is the fruit of patience. And as I've already mentioned, Revelation chapter 12 makes this clear that this is the time when Satan's anger is kindled to its highest height against God's people. And through it all, God's people will be like Jesus. I don't know about you. But when I think about this, I think, Lord, you've got a lot of work to do in my life. (laughs) I hope I'm not alone on that one. Lord, you've got a lot of work to do in my life because I want to be patient as Jesus was patient in the most severe and trying of circumstances here is the patience of the saints. So here's the question I want to pose to you, and it's this. Are we as a people who profess to know so much, are we patient or are we irritable? We do know a lot as a people, don't we? God has entrusted us with, the, with a phenomenal amount of information. God has given us so much light in his word, he has given us a knowledge of the everlasting gospel. He has given us a knowledge of the second coming of Christ, of all of these things, righteousness by faith, you name it, go down the list. God has given us a knowledge of great truth in his word. But if is that truth transforming us into patient people? If it isn't, it's really useless. It hasn't really done a whole lot for us. It's just a head Full of theory. And as we know, theory is not what it's going to take for us to get to the kingdom of heaven. It's a changed heart that will get us there. Patience is a theme that you find throughout the Bible when you look at God's people. I'm just going to mention a few examples here. You can fill in your own stories if you so choose to. But if you go back to the, in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, you find Noah. Noah was an incredibly patient man, was he not? All those years he preached and was ridiculed. As he preached about the flood that was coming, he built that ark. And then when God filled that ark with animals in that divine miracle, Moses or Noah walked into that ark, God closed that door, sealed it shut, And then for seven days, he sat inside that ark. Did that take patience? Well, the people outside were having parties and making fun of him and jeering him. Where's your water to float your boat? Noah was faithfully and patiently waiting for the fulfillment of God's word. Job, the Bible says, the Bible speaks of the patience of Job in James chapter 5 and verse 11. Can you imagine going through that? Would you have to have patience with God to go through something like that? Would you have to have patience with your spouse? Remember how Job's wife treated him in that severe and trying of circumstances? Job was a man of great patience. Joseph, Joseph patiently trusted God all of those years that he was in Egypt going from a slave boy to a prison boy to the uh, second in command over the most, one of the most powerful countries in the world at the time. He patiently trusted God through all of the trials and difficulties that he went through. The list goes on. Daniel was a man of great patience. The apostle John was a man of great patience. Simeon, one of the priests in the temple who waited for the coming of the Messiah in his old age, finally got the whole Jesus in his arms, the Messiah, he patiently waited. Moses was a man of great patience, and Caleb and Joshua were men of great patience. Can you imagine that? They went into the, into the promised land, into the Canaan, and they said, let's go, let's take it. It's ours, God will give it to us. And everybody else says, no, we're not gonna be able to do it. It's too big. And then for 40 years, they wandered around in the wilderness. Can you imagine that? Patience. They had to have incredible patience that God was doing his will and they would wait for his will to be done. The list goes on. There are many other people that we could talk about, but we must hurry on to some other points here. I asked the question this morning, how is patience developed? Sure, maybe you're doing a little self-reflection right now and you might see that there's a few areas in your life where you lack when it comes to. To patience. How can I, as a person, as a Christian, as a Seventh-day Adventist, how can I be a more patient person? Well, I'm going to tell you right now before I answer the question, you're not going to like the answer. And that's oftentimes the way it is when you read the Bible. You know, you kind of think one thing, or you, maybe I should say, you hope for one thing, and then the Bible tells you something quite the opposite, But the Bible is calling us to a higher standard of living. The Bible is calling us not to just be humans, but the Bible is calling us to be saints. The Bible is not just calling us to be Christians, but the Bible is calling us to be saints. The Bible is not just calling us to be Seventh-day Adventists, but the Bible is calling us to be saints of God. How can I have the patience of the saints? Well, here it is. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, the Bible says this. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, you've read this before, that the trying of your faith worketh. That was kind of uh, very softly said. Like, oh no. The trying of your faith worketh, and some translations use the word produceth or produce. The trying of your faith produces patience, but let patience have her perfect work or complete work that you may be perfect or complete and entire wanting nothing God is wanting to complete us God is wanting to perfect us God is wanting to make us entire so that we are wanting in nothing and one of the ingredients in that is God performing the work of patience in our lives how does that happen it's through the trying of our faith. It's through the what? <clears throat> it's through the trying of our faith that, we, that, that patience is produced or developed. <laughs> There's no other way to really get around this. If we're gonna have the patience of the saints, our faith has to be tried. And that doesn't just mean faith in terms of our belief in the word of God, but it's the trying of our life in general. Did you have any opportunities this past week to develop patience? You think you're going to have a few opportunities this next week? You'll probably have an opportunity every day to develop these, this patience that God wants us to have. You know, many times, this is what happens in our lives, We come into a trying situation, trying circumstances. Our life is, you know, going through a difficult patch. Maybe we're struggling with some depression from something that's happened in our life, or maybe we're having some health challenges or whatever it may be. There's challenges that come in our lives. Relationships. And oftentimes our prayers go something like this. Lord, this is my problem, dot, dot, dot. Fill it in. Father, I'm asking that you will please take it away and make everything good. Am I preaching the truth this morning? That's oftentimes the way our prayers go. But we have to recognize that God is looking at things from another perspective. And he sees that you going through that trying circumstance is going to perfect your He's trying to create you, create in you the patience of the saints. And so instead of lamenting the challenges that we go through, instead of lamenting the difficulties and the trials in our relationships, in our home life, in our work life, whatever it may be, instead of lamenting that and asking God to take it away, we should ask God to teach us the lessons that he wants us to learn as we go through that trial together with him. Amen? Amen? Because on the other side, God is wanting to refine us so that we have the patience of Jesus. Listen, the way we are right now, if we were all of a sudden teleported to the last of the three angels' message, and we were at the time when the mark of the beast was being enforced, nine chances out of ten, I believe most of us at the current stage in our Christian experience would probably not make it through that test. Only you can answer that question, doing a little self-reflection. And God sees this great storm that is just on the horizon. And he says, my children are not ready for that. Let's bring in some more trials for them. I'll hold your hand as you go through it. But you must learn the lesson through these trials. Listen, if you are a parent, you understand that children learn as they go through their own trials. If we took every child, every trial away from our children, they would grow up and they wouldn't be well-adjusted human beings because that's just not reality. That's just not life. God wants us to develop the patience of the saints as we endure and go through these trials. In fact, the word... Patience, in the New American Standard Bible, is actually translated, instead of using the word patience, it's translated with the word endurance. When you think of the word endurance, is that something that just comes from sitting on the couch, eating a bag of potato chips, and watching TV? Is that how you get endurance? You know, I look at these athletes. There's some of these athletes that run 100-mile races, and I think, you got to be kidding me. Why would you do that? And then it's not just enough to run a 100-mile race. They run a a 100-mile race through the desert. And I'm like, why would you do that to yourself? And then they don't even run it through just the desert, but they run it through the hottest time in the desert. When it's so hot, they got to run on the white line so that the pavement doesn't melt their shoes. Yeah, there's people that do that kind of stuff. Do you think that they develop that type of endurance by just looking out the front window? Do they develop that type of endurance running in Michigan? No, they have to develop that type of endurance by going through it ahead of time are you all following me here this morning they have to experience it ahead of time they develop the acclimatization of being able to endure through that trial and when god brings difficulties in your life instead of praying and asking him to take it away say lord strengthen me through this trial so that i can be the one who has the patience of the saints when the third angel's message is actually in its fulfillment Ellen White says this in Historical Sketches, page 134. She says, Patience is a plant. Patience is a what? Do plants just spring out of the ground? Plants what? Patience is a plant that will make rapid growth if carefully cultivated. It's a plant, it's an endurance thing, it's developed over time as we allow the trials to strengthen us. For years, I prayed and I said, Lord, I need to be a more patient person. And I prayed and I prayed, and I asked the Lord to help me to be the patient person that he wants me to be. And just recently, I realized that the Lord answered this prayer many years ago for me. In fact, he answered the prayer on October 7th of 2011, When I drove home with this cute little creature in my back seat. And I said, Thank you, Lord, for a healthy, beautiful baby girl. And I was so thankful. But you know what it's like being a parent you gotta have patience. And so I continued to pray and I said, Lord, that was Evangeline, by the way, Lord, I need more patience. Help me as a parent to have patience. And so the Lord answered that prayer on September 20th of 2013 when he gave us a beautiful baby boy. And now I'm really in the drink. I got two kids now. And they're constantly trying my patience. And I'm praying in my office as I prepare my sermons and as I try to be a good pastor. Lord, give me patience with my children. If I can't have patience with my children, I can't have patience with your children. Help me, Lord, please. And so the Lord said, I'm going to answer this prayer. And on January 7th, 2016, he gave us another precious bundle of joy. A beautiful, perfect baby girl. I didn't realize the Lord was answering the prayer for me. And so I continued to pray, and I said, Lord, I got three kids now. And not only do I have to deal with them, you know, being disobedient to me, but now I got to deal with them dealing with each other. Please help me, Lord. And so I keep praying and asking the Lord, please give me patience. And so on December 10th of 2017, no, Midori is not pregnant. thank the Lord. He gave us the furriest member of our family. And now I've got three kids and a dog that teach me patience. I don't know what it is for you. I mean, I don't know what it is in in your life that the Lord is allowing to happen to help develop your patience. But don't push it away. Don't resist it. Don't pray that it goes away, but embrace it. And say, Lord, thank you for these, this situation. Help it to do in my life what you have brought it to me for. And now I realize, as I was praying this past week, that I have all of the ingredients in my life to have the perfection of the saints developed in me. Please pray for your pastor. (laughs) Let me read you a statement from Christian service, page 91. We go from a light thought to a more heavy thought. It says this, Christian service, page 91. How terrible... It will be in the last great day to find that those with whom we have been familiarly associated are separated from us forever. To see the members of our family, perhaps our own children, unsaved. To find those whom we have visited, who have have visited our homes and eaten at our tables among the lost. Let it sink in. And then she says this. Then we will ask ourselves the question, was it because of my impatience, my unchristlike disposition? Was it because self was not under control that the religion of Christ became distasteful to them. This is something for us to think about as a church family. There's been enough pointing of the fingers over the years <clears throat> about this person's faults and that person's faults and this person's trials and that person's difficulties. Lack of character development, doing this wrong, doing that wrong. There's been enough of that. But the question is, is my impatience going to keep somebody out of the kingdom of heaven? The sobering thought that just being impatient could keep my family out of the kingdom of heaven. The sobering thought that my impatience could lead one of my church family members to lose out on the kingdom of heaven. And the reality is that our church records are full of people's names who no longer worship with us, many of them or some of them, because they were offended, perhaps by somebody's impatience and sharp tongue. It's a sobering thought that perhaps a coworker who knows that I'm a Christian loses out on the kingdom of heaven because I'm impatient. It's a sobering thought that maybe the person that I cut off as I'm driving down the road with my BibleStudyOffer.com sticker on the back loses out on Christianity. There goes another one of those Christians driving crazy, hot-headed people because of my impatience. We need to reflect upon these things. We need to think about how we are living our lives in our home, how we are treating one another at church. God is calling us to be godly people. He's calling us to live Godly lives. He's calling us to be saints in an unsaintly world. I know it's not easy. Jesus didn't say it was going to be easy. But he did say, My grace is sufficient for thee. You know, we got to stop thinking about it in terms of, you know, I'm just a human. I make mistakes. People got to understand. We're all human. This is the kind of thought process that people have today. I'm human. I make mistakes. God will understand. Sure, he understands and he's willing to forgive you, but he doesn't want to leave you there. He wants to bring you up to a higher standard of living. God is not calling us to be humans. God is calling us to be saints. God is not calling us to meet the world standard, God is calling us to meet his standard in the word of God. And it's not possible in our own strength to be able to do something like this. We have to be tapped into the power of all powers to be able to have this as our experience. We need to wake up in the morning and plug in together with the Lord and say, Father, I am prone to being an impatient person. I'm prone to losing it with my family. I'm prone to being impatient with my children. I'm prone to being impatient with my coworkers or with whoever it may be in my life. I am prone to this, Lord. You've got to help me overcome this as I go throughout my day. Listen, brothers and sisters, if we can't help but get impatient with each other for the few hours that we see each other at church, at prayer meeting and at church throughout the week, we've got some work to do. God is calling us to be saints in an unsaintly world. Listen to this. Charles Spurgeon made this statement. He said, since death does not change the character, we must be made saints here below if we are going to be saints up above. There's nothing magical that happens when we die, (laughs) There's no no magical transformation that happens at the moment of death or at the resurrection or at translation. And I know that we understand this theoretically inside of our heads as Adventists. We understand that there's nothing that changes after we die. We understand that nothing changes when we are resurrected and ultimately when we are translated to the kingdom of heaven. Intellectually, we understand that. But somehow we tend to hope that some magical thing will happen right before we die, to make us into a saint. There may be the few thieves on the cross who have that transformation right before they die, but God wants living saints that can be a living testimony for him today. Before we embrace the kingdom of heaven, we gotta allow the Lord to do a little work in our lives of making us into his saints. I hasten quickly now, make one more point before we close this thing off. As you review the passage of Scripture in your mind this morning that we are studying, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. I don't want you to miss a very vital point in that Bible passage. Connected with the patience of the saints is obedience. What is it? Connect it with patience, the patience of the saints, is obedience. And it's for this reason that God's people are described as those who keep the commandments of God. Now, don't miss this point. Before we can keep the commandments of God, we first have to be made into saints. Would you say amen to that? Before we can keep the commandments of God, we need the Lord to perform the miraculous miracle of transforming my life into a saint. And it's by living that saintly life that we are able to naturally keep the Ten Commandments. You see, sometimes we get a little reversed in our mind, and we think that if we keep the commandments, that's what makes me a saint, if I keep the commandments of God, if I worship on the right day of the week, if I love my fellow brothers and sisters, if I uh, don't commit adultery, if I don't lie, if I don't cheat, if I don't steal, if I don't covet, if I don't do all of those things, that's what makes me a saint. No, 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 no. It is saints who do all of those things. Amen? We've got to get the priority straight. And it's interesting how John outlines this here in the Bible passage. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep Commandments of God. Before we can keep the commandments of God, we need God to perform the miracle of giving us the patience of the saints. Listen to this from Taylor Bunch. He was an Adventist theologian. In his book Secrets of Godly Living, page 25, he makes this statement. He says, It is even better to be a saintly Sunday keeper than an unsaintly Sabbath keeper, regardless of the fact that the Sabbath is God's outward sign of a godly character, and eventually all genuine saints will observe the true Sabbath. He goes on, he says, it is more pleasing to God to have the wrong sign with the right character than to have the right sign with the wrong character, for even the right day becomes a false sign to the unsaintly Sabbath keeper. That's deep. And intellectually, we know this as Seventh day Adventists. You've heard it before. Uh, We say it in our Bible prophecy seminars, when we preach about the Sabbath, we tell people that there will be people in the kingdom of heaven who did not keep the Sabbath. There will be people in the kingdom of heaven who believe that when they died, they went straight to heaven. There will be people in the kingdom of heaven who drank alcohol and smoked cigarettes and ate pork. There will be people in the kingdom of heaven who went against Bible doctrine as you and I know it, but they lived the life that God called them to at the time that they lived. They allowed the Holy Spirit to lead in their lives, and whatever the Holy Spirit revealed, that's what they did. They allowed God to develop this character in them that was a character of complete surrender and submission to the will of God. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we shouldn't understand doctrine and that we shouldn't live by doctrine. But I believe as Adventists, we put too much weight on living and knowing doctrine and not enough weight on living a righteous life. And it's not knowing the doctrine and living according to those doctrines that's going to save us. Although we need to know those things, it is living a saintly life, a godly life in Christ Jesus that will give us the passport to the kingdom of heaven. As I reflect on these thoughts, I say, Lord, you've got a lot of work to do in my life. I'm just not going to be able to do it on my own. And He says, Jason, I never asked you to do it on your own. Let me be God. Let me take care of the impossible and stop trying to do it yourself. I don't know what it is. We think that we we have the ability to do the impossible and make a sinner into a saint. You can't do it. We just got to stop trying and say, Lord, you're the one that created the heavens and the earth. You're the one that spoke something out of nothing. You're the one that said, let there be light. Boom, there was light. You're the one that did that whole Genesis 1 thing. Let God be God. Let him be the one that does the miracle in your life and say, Father, I surrender my life to you. I'm a blank canvas for you to create whatever you want in my life. I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to change. I'm willing to mold. I'm willing to do whatever you ask me to do. Just do it for me. I said, okay, now that you've stepped aside, now I can get something done. God wants to do this. God wants to create saints that can inherit the kingdom of heaven that he has prepared for us. There is a minister in closing, who was asked to do the funeral of a very saintly lady. Everybody knew that she was just a saint of a person, lived just the greatest life. She was the nicest person to people. She was the dean of women at a college, and all of the women that she ministered to just knew she was a righteous and godly and saintly individual. And so this minister was given the Bible of this lady. She was old when she passed away, and it was a tattered Bible probably, And for a minister that's doing the funeral for somebody who's passed away, getting that person's Bible is a gold mine. It's like a portal into that person's life. And so this minister began to look through the Bible of this deceased lady who everybody loved so much. And as he went through, he noticed in the fly leaf of her Bible that there was a little phrase or a little sentence that was written down, the secret to saintly living. And this is what she had penned. The secret of being a saint is being a saint in secret. There's a lot of gospel in that little phrase, isn't there? You see, the problem comes when we try to be a saint when we're out in public and live like the devil when we're at home. (laughs) That's the problem. Because what happens is when we're out in public, the devil slips out every now and then. But if we're a saint at home, we're going to be a saint out in public as well. If God has done that work in our lives at home, and we can be a saint inside the four walls of our house, and our family knows that we are good people, then we can go out in public, and people will know that we have had an encounter with God, and that God has done something in our lives that is beyond what any human could ever do. Godly living. God is calling us to be saints, to, living, to live a godly life. And so this morning, I invite you to reflect upon this question. Am I becoming more saintly as the months and years go by? Or am I becoming more like what the world wants me to be, what the enemy of God wants me? To it's either one way or the other. The trajectory is going one direction or the other. It's, it's either heading in the direction of heaven or it's veering off in its course. And I don't know about you, but this morning I want to say, Father, please, help me this next week to accept the invitation to be a saint. Amen? God, help me to be the saint that you are calling me to be that sanctified, holy person that is exclusively yours. Help me, Father, give that gift to me. Amen? Amen. Lord, help us as a church to be saintly people who love one another and look forward to spending eternity together with each other in the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you as a church family. In worship, we've just sat at your feet and listened to your word and spent a few moments thoughtfully reflecting upon it. And, Father, we recognize that we are inadequate to make this transformation in our lives, but yet we are struck with awe that God would call us to be saints. Father, this next week, we accept that invitation. We accept that challenge. We embrace whatever trial you may bring along to exercise our patience. That we might be that people who will be able to stand in the most compromising time of earth's history and be described as John described them, that ones who have the patience of the saints, who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. That's the experience, Father, we want. Please create it in our lives. for we cannot do it on our own. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We accept the gift, and we praise your name for the work that you are going to do. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio,